Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles as honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thank you, love. Well, good morning, everybody. If you haven't recognized that scripture, it is taken from First uh, Peter and chapter two, verses nine through twelve. We're continuing in our summer preaching series in the letter of Peter to the diaspora, and it's been getting to dawn on me that that's who we are right now. We are the spread out ones, those who have been dispersed. Uh, We're not together, um, but through the miracle of the internet and technology, we are still able to stay in contact with one another. So Peter writes this letter to Gentile Christians dispersed across all of what was then Asia Minor. Today, we would call that Turkey. From the southern coast of the Mediterranean, there's a range of mountains along the coast, but just above those mountains was all this area. He calls it Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All Gentiles, most of them were unbelievers before they received the gospel. And Peter writes to them as now he is writing to us. I'm normally uh, not in the pulpit. Uh, I'm in the pew, just like you. And um, I like to say sometimes, occasionally, I get to preach, and what a privilege it is uh, to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. So if you want a title for this, uh, jokingly, I call it A View from the Pew. Um, But my official title for this sermon is Gospel orientation if you're taking notes gospel orientation in a time of disorientation hardship and chaos gospel orientation in a time of disorientation hardship and chaos 
Baird just said that it's easy for us to become uh, focused on the horizontal, uh, our side-to-side -side relationships, what's happening in the here and now in terms of human uh, suffering and, and what's going on around us in our circumstances. I would say that is true, but uh, John Calvin from the uh, 16th century, one of the great reformers, in the beginning of his works of the understanding of God's words, the, the institutes of the Christian religion, he called it, which was a deep, long um, volume explaining the Christian faith to those who haven't understood it. And he begins his work with this idea of the knowledge of self, which comes first. The knowledge of self or the knowledge of God. And what he says is, as soon as one begins to think of oneself and wants to get to know oneself and go deeper, it isn't long before one begins to think of God. It's almost as if one inspires the other. Or if one was to think about God and the beauties of creation, the beauties of his word, wherever you go, man sooner or later finds himself thinking about his relationship to God and other people. If you were like me, I've spent the last uh, several months, um, I've been very fortunate in being able to go to work every day. It's not until the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, I tested uh, positive uh, for COVID-19. I've been in jail uh, working as a mental health counselor um, a doctor had been coming in um, to the jail and um, just about three weeks ago, it was discovered that he had um, open symptoms, had still been coming in even during those, even though he had those symptoms. And the next thing we know, the whole population, inmates, JSO officers and mental health, medical staff had to be tested. And I tested positive. During this time also, Two months ago, one of my best friends, uh, growing up, he died. His name was David. And um, he was on shutdown like most people. Uh, England and America and Europe have all been uh, shut down. People having to stay in, in, inside. And he had decided to go for a run and visit one of his daughters. And he was waving to her um, just on the other side of the wall of their, of their English garden. And suddenly my friend, um, he dropped dead of a heart attack. No one was able to visit him in hospital. Uh, he's left a wife, uh, four grown children and grandchildren. He was a year younger than myself and throughout my whole teens and early 20s before I came to the United States, um, he and I were fast friends. And so along with COVID uh, being tested positive, then knowing a friend that has died, I've had to ask myself a question. What if I were to die today? I think we're all being challenged with this mortality uh, question. 
Just two weeks ago, I had another uh, former uh, friend and colleague uh, who worked with me at North Shore Presbyterian Church, just about three miles north right now of where I'm sitting. Uh, Franklin Morris, African-American, he and I worked together. And he was on a beach in Myrtle Beach uh, on vacation with his family, fishing with his son. He and his son both got caught in a riptide and were taken out to sea. And Franklin uh, died. He drowned. Suddenly uh, gone. So again, my attention and my heart has been brought to this idea. What if I were to die today? Just two, three days ago, a gentleman right here in Springfield who owns Cotton's Barbecue, not half a mile from my house. One minute he was okay. Then he found out that he was tested positive for COVID and wasn't experiencing symptoms. Then all of a sudden he was experiencing symptoms, went into hospital and died. So all of these circumstances, the horizontal, I think you probably have your own stories, uh, not just of COVID, but of your families, your friends, circumstances going on in your life. I think these times suddenly focus our, our attention on what am I living for? What if I were to die today? What would be written for me? What would my gravestone perhaps say? If people were to attend my funeral, what would they say about me? What would they say I'd actually been living for? If you're anything like me, maybe over the last few months, you can feel the ground shifting beneath your feet as things that we've relied on in our culture, maybe to keep us going, are now being challenged. A couple of weeks ago, David uh, preached um, a sermon and he highlighted um, how doing a, a church plant like ours, which seeks to reconcile um, blacks and, and whites in the gospel, and how difficult that is in light of all that we're seeing in our country right now. And I can remember texting him after that sermon and saying that he was able to name something. In his, in his heart, the deep difficulty of doing this work, uh, the challenges of it. And I was able to name my own cynicism. I've worked in the jails, in prison system and jail systems for about six, seven years now. Worked in a reconciliation ministry with um, Franklin Morris and others. And I've seen at firsthand how difficult uh, doing uh, gospel ministry uh, cross class, cross culturally can be. And I have to confess that the last few weeks have unveiled deep cynicism, almost a disorientation and unbelief in my own heart. What God has called to us to is really hard. I've seen just how hard men's hearts are. We can see it in our papers and on our, our TV screens every day. And I've seen the hardness of my own heart. 
So is there any good news in this? And I believe uh, there is. And it comes from our text today, from Peter. Peter, who would know his own heart, how God had dealt with him. And now he writes to this uh, group of uh, Gentile uh, believers who are dispersed over Asia Minor, over all of central, western, and eastern uh, Turkey. And he writes this letter to them in 61 AD, probably just before he was to die himself. Tradition tells us that Peter died in Rome, that he was uh, murdered, executed, uh, upside down on a cross. And before that happens to him, he writes this explosive uh, little letter reminding these uh, Christians of who they are in the gospel, reminding them to live their lives uh, as God's people, as holy before the Lord, and to prepare themselves for hardship and persecutions uh, to come because of their witness uh, to the gospel. So in these times for us, a diaspora ourselves, not being able to meet together, what is God's word to us? I want to try and convey three things uh, this morning. What do we need to do in these times? First of all, we need to get our gospel identity right. To get our gospel identity right. Secondly, get our gospel purpose right. And thirdly, get our act together in service to the world. Not the world's service to us, but our service uh, to the world. But first of all, getting our gospel identity right. Listen to these words. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What am I living for? Who am I? Whose am I? Where is my uh, loyalty? To what or to whom do I give my heart and my life? And what Peter calls us to here, and as he calls these Gentile um, believers, he reminds them. In grammar, we call this the indicative. This is who you are. You are a chosen race, just as Jesus, the precious from last week, the precious stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Just as he was the chosen one of God and chosen because of who he is, the very son of God and all that is precious about him. Peter then takes that because of him, the cornerstone, everyone who was built on him is also chosen. But they're not chosen because of their wonderfulness or because they're great, but because they're not. Peter was talking to a group of uh, Gentiles, those who were without God, without any knowledge, who were living their lives in debauchery. And he speaks to them these incredible words as he speaks them to us. 
Who are you? Who are you really deep down? We've got to get this right as a people. Before we start to talking about America or anything else, the church has got to get its own identity right. You are a chosen race. And he said this to all these different groups of people. They all had different languages. If you remember Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost, he stood up and filled with the Holy Spirit. He spoke to all the gathered assembly, all the people from all the nations that were coming to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. Multitudes of tribes and different nations. And he says, you are a chosen race. Not a multitude of race, but a chosen race. One race. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Peter here returns to what he has said earlier, right at the beginning. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Can you imagine? Does this excite your heart? That of all of the lost people in this world that God has come along and in Jesus Christ has chosen you to be part of his special people, this chosen race. And not because there was anything good in you, anything smart in you, not because you were white or because you were black, because you're Republican or Democrat or because you're American or European or even British. Paul says in Ephesians that God has chosen his people because of his good pleasure, because he saw fit to do it, because he is sovereign. He is the one who out of all of lost humanity, all of those who have fallen away, he has decided to choose some for salvation. And you may stumble on this very difficult uh, doctrine of God's choosing. The Bible also says that Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And you may say to me, why has God hated Esau? But again, out of all of lost humanity, that's not the answer. The answer really is, why would God love Jacob? In Hebrew, Jacob, Jacob, was a shyster. He stole his brother's birthright. He was one who catches others by the heel. He was a liar and a deceiver. But God had mercy on him, just as he has had mercy on us and has chosen us, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Priests were the ones that carried the burden and the sins of the people into the presence of God. And now Peter is exclaiming that this is who you are. Not only are you a chosen race, but you are a royal priesthood. You are ones that have been chosen to bear the burdens 
of the people. You are the ones that have been brought so close. You see, the priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies and be that close to God. And God has said to all of his people, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are the ones that can come close to me. And I won't kill you in my holiness. Because the blood of my son, Jesus, has covered you in the past, in the present, and for all eternity. You will minister to me close, right in the holy of holies. Now no longer in the temple, but in the heavenlies. We are before God as a royal priesthood. That is our dignity. That is our worth. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A kingdom. Christians operate under two kingdoms. Yesterday we were celebrating the 4th of July of the kingdom of the United States. But that is not who we really are. That is not our primary identity. It's secondary, maybe tertiary. Our primary identity as Christians is as a holy nation brought close to God. These terms that Peter is piling on one on top of the other are all actually brought from his own understanding of the people of God as they escaped from Egypt. From Egypt. Ex-hados. That's the Greek term for the way out. They came out of the darkness of Egypt, out of slavery to Egypt, and come into the desert. And as they came to Mount Sinai, Moses ministered before the Lord. The Lord promised to them that they would be his people, that he would be their God. They were the chosen nation. They were the royal priesthood. They were the holy nation. And what Peter is saying here is on. Believable. He is saying, just as Israel had come to Mount Sinai and God had designated them his holy people, not because they were a great people, not because they were better than anybody else, but just because of God being God and sovereign, having a right to rule and a right to choose who he chooses to express himself to and who he chooses to love. He brought the people, Israel, to himself. Egyptians had come out with the Israelites. It wasn't just Israelites, but there were all kinds of people with the Israelites. And he chose them to be his representatives on earth, his special people. In the same way, Peter is saying to these Gentile believers, the same rights, the same responsibilities, the same dignity, that Israel was given by God is now being given to you in Jesus Christ. That is unbelievable. He goes on to say, a people for his own possession. And from there he says in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have receive mercy not only does peter pile up this old testament understanding of who the people of god are it's now no longer just jews it is jews and gentiles 
which was actually prophesied throughout the whole of the Old Testament, that God would not only bring in a remnant of his own people, the Israelites, but he would also bring the gospel and bring those who never knew him, who had no claim on him, to bring those who were not a people of God to become a people of God. Those who had never experienced the mercy of God would now receive mercy. And what Peter is highlighting here is the book of Hosea. This language, no mercy and not my people, echoes the language of Hosea. When Israel and Judah were going through times of um, rebellion against God, when they were, as the Old Testament scriptures put it, when they were idolatrous and had um, were whoring after other gods and the gods of the nations. The word of the Lord came to Hosea the prophet and he said, I want you to take a prostitute and have children with her. And in Hosea chapter 1, Hosea does this. He takes a woman, Goma, and she has children. She has a boy and she calls him Jezreel. Then she has a girl and she calls her name No Mercy. Then she has another boy and call his name Not My People, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And Peter must have been reading the Old Testament and understood why is it that he got to be a Christian? Why is it that he got to have mercy from God through Jesus Christ, especially in light of these Old Testament prophecies that seem to highlight God's rejection of his own people through their rebellion? And I believe what Peter is telling us, that he has been so humbled that that rejection has been turned around in Jesus Christ. Again, in Hosea, is said that in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal, but I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by my name no more. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Peter is directly echoing that language. The people, the Gentiles, and us, we are Gentile people. He is including us in the promises of God. In these verses, God comes to us in the new covenant in Jesus Christ, and he marries us. And the not my people and those who have not ever received mercy, they receive mercy that flows from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that comes from the righteousness that Christ made for us through his perfect life. And it is given to us. And through that shed blood, 
We are welcomed now as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. And in Hosea, it is as if this adulterous, rebellious people, Gentiles, and even the rebellious Israelites all come together and the Lord comes close to us and receives us and gives us this incredible embrace. You are mine. I have chosen you from before the foundations of the earth and I will never, ever let you go. I know where you've been. I know everything that you've done, but you are mine. Brothers and sisters, that identity has got to begin to delight our hearts above any other loyalty. Loyalty to president, party, family, race, black, white, Bithynian, whatever it is. Your primary loyalty, your primary uh, delight is to know that you belong to God and God belongs to you, that he is your husband and you are his beloved wife, spouse, who he is besotted over, who he has wooed and wowed by coming himself and dying on a cross so that you could experience mercy. Peter, let's go back to that passage, puts it like this. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I believe Peter could exclaim that he was in darkness. He didn't really know fully who Jesus was and what he had come to do, but now he does and has come into his light. Is that your experience? Is that is what is delighting your heart this morning? We've got to get this identity right. Secondly, we've got to get our gospel purpose right. I'm afraid I'm going to have to do a view from probably 50,000 feet, maybe David uh, next week can go a bit more into detail on these things. But we've got to get our gospel identity right. We've got to get our gospel purpose right. We've got to stop fixating on what's going on so much in the country. But we've got to look at ourselves as Christians. Christians are in this country. They have been on both sides of what is good and what is desperately evil, especially in terms of racism and continuing racism in this country. But we've got to get our identity right, got to get our gospel purpose right. And what is that? Peter says, to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim God's greatness in Jesus. And we are to do this in word and in deed. But we can't do this if we are in darkness. 
if we are, as I confessed, that there's a deep cynicism, a veil of it over my heart, where my heart has become hard in the work, where I don't believe anymore that this is who I am and this is my calling. And I just sink into what Francis Schaeffer once called my own personal peace. What am I living for? Francis Schaeffer diagnosed practically the whole of, of the Western world when he said that most people are living for their own personal peace and affluence and are not willing to put their own personal peace and affluence at stake in the gospel. To actually be obedient uh, to God's will because God's will is for us to know that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, his own possession, that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then Peter says, then we will be willing to exclaim his excellences. Look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at how he has changed my life. I once was like this, but now I'm like this. And people can actually see that. They can actually believe you when you tell them. And if they don't believe you, then they can at least see your deeds and what you do and how you live your life. One of the greatest examples of this is in John chapter 4, when Jesus met a woman at the well who had had five husbands, and the man that she was presently with wasn't her husband. David preached on this um, several months ago and said, that here she had lived all of her life looking for the man that would fulfill her, only to come to a well one day and actually find the man who actually would, Jesus. And when he told her about all of her life of sin and exclaimed to her that he was the Messiah, Jesus, the living God, she ran away back into a village and she exclaimed, Come and meet the man who told me everything that I ever did. And everybody listened because they knew what kind of woman she was and how she'd been living her life, what kind of darkness she had been in. And later they came out and met Jesus and they said, it's not just because of your words exclaiming who Jesus is and what he said to you about himself and about your own life, but we have heard him now and we know him. That is the purpose of God's people. It's to exclaim the excellences of him who called you. Are you able to do that? Maybe we need to spend this week just considering these words, getting our gospel identity right, getting our gospel purpose right, and lastly, getting our act together in the service to the world. Very briefly, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and ex exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How can a people who've just married God, who are his people, who are a chosen race, not because of anything good that they've done, but because they've been humbled 
by God's choice of them. Then come to a world and browbeat them. And be horrible to them. How can those who've just looked in the mirror of their own need for mercy and grace from such a loving, beautiful, excellent, merciful God then come along to those who don't know him and be awful? That doesn't make sense. And Peter tells us that we've got to get our act together in service to the world. The Cappadocians, the Bithynians, and those in Pontus and Asia, they were living in a Greco-Roman world that would soon, over periods of time in the next three centuries, persecute them horribly and terribly. But at no time were they to be able to say, you're awful, you're going to go to hell, this is going to happen to you, all of those things. No. Peter says, you are to act like sojourners and exile. He returns to these words, sojourners and exiles. Those who await another kingdom. But while you're in this world, don't ignore it, but serve it. Don't grow your roots so deep into this world only. In which he, he says, as exile, abstain from the passions of the flesh, those passions that we see only this life as the one that we have to live and get as much out of it as possible. If you do that, you will not be able to live your life in service to other people. He says, but conduct yourselves to unbelievers. What does he say? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. People may think you're crazy, but they should be able to see your good deeds and still be able to say, there's a good man. There's a good woman. I don't understand their motivations or why they do that. It can be completely crazy, but I can still see good. I can still recognize it. Gospel identity. Are you booting up your life every day on who you are in Jesus Christ, God's own possession? Does he have primary loyalty to your heart? Do you know what your purpose is in life? That is every part of your life in word and in deed to exclaim the excellences of him who saved you. And how do you act? What's your attitude to those who don't believe? Condemnation, scorn, derision, because they don't have your worldview? Or do you serve them? Living here in Springfield has taught me to love people who sometimes have a very different worldview to mine. Many of them are better than me, and they act in better ways than I do. And so I can be humbled and learn to serve. I do a lot of yard work around my neighborhood. I love doing that. That's one of the ways in which I try and show love to my neighbors. I want to leave us in conclusion. I don't know how long I've been here. 
What is astounding to me, who wrote this? Who wrote these words? It was Peter, Peter the apostle. And he wrote them to Gentile dogs like me. But Peter himself had been exposed multiple times to the gospel. And just like Peter, we need multiple exposures to the gospel. Peter had spent three, three and a half years with Jesus, but he had gone through multiple exposures to the good news and to God's will in that good news. That the gospel wasn't just for the apostle to the Jews, Peter, but the good news was to all of the Gentiles. There was this deep separation between Jew and Gentile. Just like in our nation, there's very often a deep separation between black and white and Hispanic, between rich and poor. But Peter writes these incredible words to people that once he would have looked down upon that he wouldn't even even wanted to meet with, that if he would been in the temple worshiping and a Gentile came in, he would have had that Gentile cast out from the temple. But now these words are words of welcome from the God of the Old and New Testaments, from the God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had multiple exposures to the gospel. He met Jesus on a beach. Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? In reversing Peter's betrayal of Jesus and his renunciation of Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed and taken into custody. Peter experienced grace. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and was preaching to all these different tribes. So he would have seen firsthand God's will to reverse the fall of Babel and the dispersion of the nations and then bringing them back into one chosen holy nation in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter again gets exposed to the gospel and of God's will for the nations. He is given visions and dreams And he is invited to go to a Roman centurion's house called Cornelius. And he preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And he is again astounded that the Holy Spirit falls upon a Gentile family. Thus, Peter seeing again God's love for those who were far off and who had no mercy. have now received mercy. Those who were not a people are now part of the commonwealth of Israel. And later on, 10 years after Pentecost, can you believe this? Paul, Peter is still wrestling with the deep roots of his own Jewish heritage. As Paul comes into a meeting place and Peter is off to one side, only meeting with Jewish Christians and leaving the Gentile Christians. And Paul challenges Peter and said, Peter, you're not living in step with the gospel. Peter again is challenged in his views about other people and God's will for their life. And finally, we have this passage here where Peter speaks the most loving 
incredible, open embrace to those who've never heard the gospel. Those who were not a people have now become the people of God. May this word of Peter's become our word. May the gospel soften our hearts. May it remove the veil of cynicism from our hearts. May we this week just soak ourselves in our identity, in our purpose, and in our conduct before an unbelieving world, before a nation that's in turmoil. The house of God, the people of God have got to get their own house in order. We have lived without our people. without knowing our own ways before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that our church this week would think deeply about their identity, their purpose, and the way in which they walk before the world. Lord, because of who we are in you, help us to be able to see even more clearly our own darkness and repent and confess it before you. Because you have loved us and embraced us so deeply, Lord, we ask that we would be able to bring anything that keeps us from being an open, welcoming and safe uh, brother or sister in the church or neighbor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.